This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and James Heal. Rishi Sunak was in front of the Liaison Committee this afternoon. Isabel, how did it go for the Prime Minister? Well, he said in his interview uh, with Katie in the Christmas issue of The Spectator, which is out now, that he doesn't recognise the description of himself as, as tetchy. Um, but he was, I'm afraid to say, tetchy at today's committee session. And he, I'd say he was non-partisan in his tetchiness, um, in that he got crossed with... Alicia Kearns, who's the um, uh, the Conservative chair of the committee, as well as getting crossed with Sarah Champion, who is um, the uh, Labour chair of the International uh, Development Committee. And I think part of his tetchiness is a sort of uh, an irritation with those who don't immediately appear to understand his point of view, um, which to a certain extent is... I wouldn't say it, that's not the role of a select committee chair, but I think when you're having these questioning sessions to probe somebody's point of view, to make sure that they are actually um, that they've actually based it on a firm foundation is is quite important. And he seems to get particularly annoyed when people do that. So there was an exchange between him and um, Sarah Champion on international aid, which. Uh, was largely characterised by Sarah Champion being disappointed that he had um, dropped the 0.7% um, spending commitment and Sunak arguing that it was the right decision. But then a a, a tetchier exchange came with Alicia Kearns uh, when she was asking him firstly about Ukraine and then moved on to um, Israel and Gaza. And um, she obviously, over the weekend said that Israel was losing its um, moral authority um, and she was asking him whether he agreed with President Biden about um, the indiscriminate um, bombings and and possibly even targeting of civilians. Uh, And Sunak didn't say that, but he repeated the line he's been using uh, in the past few days, which is that too many civilians have died. Um, And uh, she then was pressing him further on whose responsibility it was that so many civilians had died. And he reacted to that by calling her question extraordinary um, and really sort of criticising the foundation of that and reminding her that, you know, the responsibility for this conflict lies with Hamas. Um, But I think it it shows, firstly, you know, we talk... Uh, we've talked a lot about the Prime Minister's tetchiness on this podcast before, but I think it also shows, and even his his shift in the um, in recent days and David Cameron calling for a sustainable ceasefire does show um, that opinion in the Conservative Party is on the move as, as well as opinion um, within the government. Uh, and so that made for, for a tetchy set of exchanges. And then the most uncomfortable bit for him was when he was questioned by a series of the committee chairs um, on Rwanda. So Diana Johnson, who is the chair of the Home Affairs Select Committee, um, she 
uh, was she gave him a grilling. But you also have Meg Hillier, who's Public Accounts Committee, and Bernard Jenkin, who is the chair of the Liaison Committee. Uh, he hopped in as well. And the takeaways from that were perhaps not that surprising, but still quite interesting. So he couldn't give a date on when he would stop the boats. He refused to clarify whether there was an airline that was signed up to do the deportation flights to Rwanda. Uh, All he would say was, I'm confident that we will be able to send people to Rwanda. Um, And as I was writing that up, I thought, does that mean he's going to put them on a boat? They're sort of going to go on a very long cruise. Um, And then what, a a train to Rwanda or something like that. Um, Not quite sure how that's going to work. And then finally... um, the um the the final thing that he um uh sort of suggested in uh, an answer to Bernard Jenkin and to Meg Hillier uh, was that the government's uh, looking for perhaps even actively having talks with a specific other country about a duplicate scheme again not a huge surprise we have have ministers saying that you know they're they're looking for other countries we know that some ministers have have been on sort of exploratory trips and so on but but he wouldn't he wouldn't get into um the what he called the commercially sensitive details of that. James, what did you make of the liaison committee hearing? And also, um, it does seem like the government's got itself into quite a tricky position on the Israel Gaza conflict. It's it, even the United States is saying that Israel has been indiscriminate bombing in Gaza, and some Tory MPs are now criticising the government, saying that they need to change their position a bit on this. Mm. Well, first of all, on the Liaison Committee uh, itself, yesterday, last night, Rishi Sunak hosted lobby journalists at number 10. He he spoke about the Christmas Carol, quote, a man forced to face the depths of his own character, his achievements and his shortcomings, and what that spells for the future. To me, it sounds a bit too much like the Liaison Committee. Let's just say some Christmas traditions are better than others. He then left the event early to go and prep and swat up for Liaison Committee. And I think what was interesting listening to it today was, I mean, at times it sounded more like a sort of defensive civil servant than a sort of active politician. Uh, as Isabel said, I think it was all very political. Um, often when it was Boris Johnson doing this, of course Liz Truss never got to have one of these, um, but Boris, it was often uh, a lot of heat but not much light. Uh, this wasn't so much, there wasn't much heat here and there wasn't much light here either where they were sort of dancing around and some of the ex- so the exchanges were quite tetchy. So it would be, you know, Liam Byrne talking about, you know, absolute versus relative poverty. They they can both cite statistics. It was sometimes a little bit like a sort of school swats comparing notes, etc. So I think he got through it all right. But I mean, as you sort of say, I think that the Rwanda issue was really the, the touchstone of the whole debate. And we've got polling now that's come out this afternoon, which shows that um, the Tories are now nine points behind on handling immigration and asylum uh, by Labour. So I think this issue of competence, etc., and the ability to get anything on the kind of short to medium term is is certainly harming the Conservatives. On the point about Gaza, I certainly agree. I think that you've seen another open letter today from a number of Conservative MPs uh, critical about what's happening going on with uh, Israel and Gaza. You obviously saw yesterday Ben Wallace had the splash of the Daily Telegraph with some pretty strong criticism of Israel and supposed indiscriminate killings, etc. So I, I do think perhaps there's a sense that as we've had for all the conflicts involving Israel for the past 40 years, uh, initially there's a kind of rally round Israel effect whenever there's a, the conflict flares up. But then as it goes on, it can be hardest to sustain public support, public pressure. So we might be seeing that in action here. I think both Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak are reluctant to kind of 
lead too much on this. I think they're happy to kind of go along with what the Americans want to do for all sorts of different reasons. But they have to obviously be careful of different bits of their, their, their party, as we saw from one of the most interesting exchanges today, which was between a Conservative Prime Minister and a Conservative Foreign Affairs Committee Chair in Alicia Kearns. Isabel, the government also issued its guidance for schools on transgender pupils today. Um, it said that schools do not have to and should not accept all kids who want to transition, said that parents should be consulted. This guidance was a long time coming. Was there any surprises in it or was it all as expected, ultimately? I mean, James has, has written about this and we've also got a piece um, by Debbie Hayton um, on Coffee House uh, about this. And Debbie's argument is um, that the uh, that it leaves quite a lot to be desired, not least because it's going to upset everyone, is her argument. And I think you've seen the immediate reaction to it. I mean, I think the immediate reaction to it, to a certain extent, has been unsurprising, um, given uh, the amount of heat we do now have um, in the trans debate. It's very difficult for anyone to make any kind of pronouncement without causing a you know a, a tremendous a tremendous row. This is only draft guidance, um, and so there will be a chance for stakeholders, as the government likes to call it, them. Um, be it schools, uh, be it trade unions, parents' bodies, uh, groups who campaign on trans rights or on parents' rights or on gender-critical issues and so on to to respond. Um, and I think one of the interesting things about it is just how long it's taken to produce it because schools have been waiting for terms now um, to have this guidance. That They've obviously been left having to work out what they can, you know, reasonably and legally do with individual situations with, within their schools. Um, so there is just relief that it's, that it's come out, but it does show how difficult it is for government to reach an agreement on this, let alone um, the, the wider education sec- sector. James, Liz Trust said today that, it, that the guidance does not go far enough. Um, can you talk us through the different opinions in the Conservative Party on this? Why has it been such a fraught area? Well, of course, Liz Truss is a former Equalities Minister, former Education Minister, and she recently had a private members bill she introduced in Parliament after coming near the top of the ballot uh, for backbench MPs on this very subject. And she wants the guidance to go be further strengthened in law by saying, you know, if you're not going to have this in law on a statutory footing, schools will simply go around that. And that's what we've seen the case today with some schools coming out and saying, well, we're going, this is just guidance, we're going to carry on doing the system we've had for the past 10 years, etc., I would say that most of the Conservative M- MPs um, are, are are not especially of one side or another necessarily. They've got conflicting instincts. Um, but though I think for a minority of MPs, it really does matter a huge amount. And I think that there's been a big focus, partly by that policy exchange report and what kids are being taught in school, partly because it's simply an area where there's been such an evolving conversation over the past five years or so um, that school's frankly been left behind. One of the more interesting reactions to today's announcement was from Samuel Kasumu, who worked at Number 10, he tweeted that my very first meeting as a Number 10 span in 2019 was on this guidance. Four years later, it has arrived. So you think this has actually been a huge amount of time it's been debated. And even today's guidance, which came out, one of the big splits, I think, within the party is about how far do you go in kind of allowing individual teachers to make up those decisions or not. One, an, an issue of concern would be, for instance, if a, if a 
child at school wanted to was questioning their sexuality their identity etc but for instance they had a parent who'd be very critical of that or could potentially uh, endanger them in some way in the most extreme cases how much right does the their parents have to know about their child's sexuality and gender identity and you can get a very different reaction i'd say across the party from say talking to uh, we've seen previously you know Gillian keegan the education secretary a very different view on that um to some extent to other people like miriam cates in the party so i think it's one of the and i think the fact that the best biggest testimony to that is the fact that it's now been announced today on the last day before parliament rises and it was usually published in the summer um and it's clearly going to be an issue that rumbles on as isabel says it's just draft guidance right now the consultation ends in March, so we could have a, a bigger fight further down the line. And I suspect it'll be one of those things whereby, in trying to keep everyone happy, no one will be completely satisfied. It'll be one of the things where I think different parts of the party may end up having to compromise. Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you very much for listening.